G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Well, a focus over this coming hour on an important dimension of the upcoming U.S. presidential election and the fragile nature of peace around the world. We might all be prayerful that the leader of the free world after the U.S. presidential election might be peace-loving. Now, it may be a surprise, but there are as many as 45 armed conflicts going on around the world right now, even as we speak. Americans will be off to the polls on the 3rd of November. So a conversation today about war and peace and where the contenders might stand. As you may know, the U.S. tends to take sides and have a level of involvement in many major conflicts around the world. Interestingly, both U.S. President Donald Trump and the Democrat challenger Joe Biden were nominated for this year's Nobel Peace Prize. Now, neither of them was declared the winner. In fact, the award went to the World Food Program for its efforts to combat hunger and for bettering conditions for peace in conflict areas. But what you may not know is that four of Australia's distinguished law professors put forward their own nomination for President Donald Trump to be awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. The four law professors included Emeritus Professors David Flint and Gabriel Moens and Professors James Allen and Augusto Zimmerman. Their nomination was on the basis of what is known as the Trump Doctrine to end all endless and unnecessary wars. Well, Augusto Zimmerman is Professor and Head of Law at Sheridan Institute of Higher Education in Perth He's also President of the Western Australian Legal Theory Association and Editor-in-Chief of the West Australian Journalist, uh, Jurist rather. Uh, so uh, Augusto Zimmerman, our guest uh, this coming hour. Augusto, welcome back to 2020. Uh, thank you, Neil. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Augusto, tell us about your nomination. This must have happened some time back. You made a nomination for Donald Trump. Uh, because he's done good work in achieving some level of peace between nations. Uh, give us some insight into your nomination. Yes, uh, I was uh, approached by um, my friend, uh, Emeritus Professor David Flint, and uh, he referred to the fact that um, it was his intention to nominate uh, Donald Trump uh, for the Nobel Peace Prize, and that he would also... Um, Made, make this request to other two colleagues of mine, good friends of mine as well, uh, Gabriel Moyes and, and James Allen. And we are uh, writing and we have prepared this uh, 
submission uh, to the um, Nobel Prize uh, Committee on the basis of what he has done uh, to um, avoid unnecessary, uh, as we say, endless, unwinnable wars uh, all over the world. I think um, uh, his uh, actions as a president to prevent America from uh, starting unnecessary wars has indeed saved countless uh, innocent lives at this point and uh, honored the tradition, the American tradition of being a force for good and for freedom in the world. Well, I mentioned that the actual winner was announced uh, just a week or two back, I think it was. Uh, the World Food Programme won that nomination and uh, the Nobel Peace Prize. There were some other nominations that were also put forward, uh, names that some listeners will recognise. Of course, naturalist David Attenborough was uh, was nominated. So was a Sudanese activist, Ala Salah, and the Russian opposition politician, Alexei Navalny, who... Uh, was a part of that poisoning incident uh, in uh, the Russian uh, election campaign there. So other nominations, and of course neither Trump nor Biden were successful in being awarded that peace prize, but it was worthwhile making the nomination because it draws attention, Augusto, to these issues of war and peace. And these are big issues that the whole world will will be thinking about in the lead up to the election. Uh, what are your thoughts for uh, for each one as uh, as they go to the election as to what sort of what sort of uh, attitudes to war and peace they might carry? Yeah, that's a very interesting thing that uh, you refer to the fact that um, Joe Biden was also um, nominated by uh, a certain group of individuals. And that is quite surprising to me because um, it in many ways reminds uh, me of what happened when uh, Barack Obama Obama was a candidate for that um, particular U.S. presidential election. And it seems that he was uh, uh, nominated simply because he would be uh, this sort of... uh, uh, presidential candidate that is so much of the taste of the radical left. And and he hadn't done anything in particular or substantially to be deserving the prize, but just because he was a candidate and competing against a conservative uh, uh, opponent, uh, the Nobel Prize um, committee decided to uh, give this award to him. But the award should have been withdrawn because as soon as he became the president, he involved America in unnecessary wars that have cost the lives of many innocent people, Americans and the locals who had been uh, facing the uh, occupation of American troops for unnecessary reasons, and sometimes uh, rather than creating a more peaceful um, geopolitics, uh, the interventions have caused uh, more tension, more instability in the Middle Eastern area in particular. Now, you say that President Donald Trump has brought a refreshingly new approach to the quest for peace, and I suspect that sometimes gets overlooked, but how do you discuss that idea, a refreshingly new approach? Yes, um, as uh, the Flint mentioned it so well in his uh, uh, Sky interview, Uh, He mentioned that uh, in our uh, submission, uh, we refer to the fact that um, 
he doesn't want to get America involved, America involved in unwinnable and endless wars that are not even uh, uh, possibly, I can say, able to solve the problems of these regions. Because sometimes the point is not just that um, we want to be doing something to help other nations, but the nations themselves, they need to help themselves. And uh, and sometimes the problem is far more complex than uh, you know most of these pol- policy experts uh, claim to be. Uh, for instance, in the Middle East, there is a problem of radical Islam And as soon as the military officers left in Egypt, uh, the first election, uh, democratic election that was held in Egypt, put into power a very radical uh, Muslim Brotherhood uh, regime. And this uh, regime used its democratic powers to oppress people, and especially the Christian minority. So Samuel Huntington is very clear. Uh, he was very clear. He passed away a couple of years ago, but he wrote this uh, celebrated the clash of civilizations. But he predicted, uh, and he was prophetic, prophetic in his prediction, that if elections were held in some countries of the Middle East, chances were, and he proved to be right, that this would lead to more oppression, more violation of human rights, because um, a radical majority might put into power people who will ultimately violate the human rights of innocent minorities. We, as a Christian believer, we have our own ideal of what is good and what is evil. And uh, the idea, of course, uh, is that uh, another side will say that they're good and uh, that there might be another uh, form of evil. So the idea of understanding good and evil here, no doubt, is going to be an important factor uh, as to how you might support uh, one side going to war and one side uh, not going to war. Uh, what are your thoughts here around uh, a Christian view and perhaps that shapes and colours a conservative view of of an approach to war? And do you think that actually has some uh, impact on, on what Donald Trump might believe about his ideals about war and peace? There is no doubt that uh, Christians should be exercising a major force for good. But at the same time, you have to do it all these things with wisdom. And the Bible is very clear that um, hell can be paved with good intentions. So what we need to bear in mind is that these uh, policies, uh, even when adopted by well-intended people, they can have unintended consequences. And um, the uh, policies that have been adopted by Trump uh, contradict um, the normal uh, approaches that were taken in the past by previous past presidents of the United States. And it seems that these uh, policies have been been more effective in uh, um, creating a more peaceful uh, environment, even for the Americans. So I must say, for instance, that um, in Libya, for instance, the intervention in 2011 by um, Barack Obama and his uh, government uh, led to disastrous consequences to the country and also in other areas of the globe. So we have to be careful that uh, uh, we might face uh, some regimes that are of authoritarian nature, uh, such as the one in uh, Syria, for instance. But if the regime in Syria is replaced by another regime that happens to be even worse, uh, we are going to see even more trouble 
and even more violation of human rights. So Christians have to be a force for good. We have to fight for freedom and justice in the world, but we have to do it in a way that's not to going to cause more harm and destruction and unintended consequences as a result. So Donald Trump has denounced the pursuit of what he terms unwinnable wars, and accordingly he's withdrawn American forces from across the world. And for some, and I know listeners might have this reflection too, for some that might be saying withdrawing from the wars withdraws your influence. And of course America has been uh, the, uh, you know, the policeman on the block and has had this involvement in wars and conflicts around the world. And so if you withdraw from that, somehow or other, does that show a sign of weakness? Some will think that the Trump doctrine or the Trump idea of withdrawing might be a, a weak position. What are your thoughts here, Augusto? Well, you know, some of the problems that... Um countries face is actually caused, uh, they are caused by um, extra legal uh, factors. And when, for instance, George Bush uh, claimed that the solution for the Middle East was to, for the Americans to export their democratic system, that was unwise and not a very good idea because, uh, uh, you know, I, I did my PhD on the subject of the rule of law. And I can tell that the rule of law is as much a legal institutional achievement as it is a social, cultural, and even ultimately religious achievement. And if you don't develop the proper mindset and the proper values, uh, there will be no way you can uh, realize the, the, the benefits and the blessings of uh, a government under the law. So one of the things that, that we can say that's happening in so many countries is actually a lack of the culture of legality and appreciation for rights and freedoms for all. And this is something that requires a change of minds and hearts. And there is nothing an external force can do to change this uh, state of affairs. Uh, or people like, um, uh, you know, um, uh, Saddam Hussein and Gaddafi, they are basically products of their environment. And it's something that we need to bear in mind and understand that um, the root causes of the problem are not external. Sometimes they're actually internal. And it depends on a change of culture and pattern of behavior. That's the only way these problems will be solved. Uh, when you talk rule of law, and as you say, uh, you're an expert when it comes to this issue, uh, rule of law is something that we understand in Western nations as bringing those leaders under the same rule as everybody else. But that in some nations doesn't apply because dictators see themselves above the law. I wonder whether you've got any thoughts here about about how uh, rule of law applies when you've got a Trump doctrine of uh, involvement in war or withdrawal from war, and how that might uh, give that level of accountability to the people who put them in that position in the first place, instead of being dictators. Absolutely. And uh, one of the things that uh, I'm missing here is the acceptance that uh, culture matters. Uh, talking about Samuel Huntington, he even wrote uh, one of his uh, latest books was called Culture Matters, and he edited this book uh, and, uh, of course, assembled a, a group of distinguished uh, scholars to discuss this matter. 
And uh, ultimately, what he has to say and his group of individuals, of academics, is that um, uh, culture is responsible for uh, shaping societies and it's shaping economic development, the rule of law. If, if, uh, if a, a group of uh, individuals uh, put all their hope in the leader, or if you talk in terms of a nation, uh, putting their hope in the leader, it's a very hard thing to develop the rule of law, because that will lead to another form of government that's not under the rule of law, but it is uh, based on charismatic leadership. And these charismatic leaders, they normally start being very popular, otherwise they would not have reached power. But power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And that's when they start abusing of their power. But we're not going to have an institutional solution if people actually expect the rulers to do too much and even operate beyond the limits of legality. So one of the things I mentioned in my thesis is that we need to develop a culture of legality in these places so that they have an appreciation not only for the value of protecting individual rights and freedoms, but also of having their government operating under the rule of law. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Professor Augusto Zimmerman is our guest. We're talking war and peace. We're talking about what is known as the Trump doctrine when it comes to war. We're talking about whether whichever candidate comes to prominence and leads the presidency of the United States, what that might do for relations between nations. So 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. We'll take some calls in just a short while. Uh, Augusto, let me ask you, though, about this, uh, this idea of a Trump doctrine, because at the present time, it seems to be that the United States is very divided, uh, you know, divided between conservative and progressive, uh, the left and right, uh, hearts and minds not on the same page. Some would say in that sort of position would certainly weaken uh, the nation. What are your thoughts for uh, the divisions there that happen in the, the United States at the present time? Well, it's another evidence that um, the issue ultimately is the issue of the heart. So uh, what happens uh, in uh, certain uh, countries of the Middle East when we refer to uh, Libya and Syria is the fact that some people are not prepared to accept the rules of the game and to be uh, willing to accept the institutional uh, frameworks that might be provided, including the ones that ultimately lead to the protection of fundamental rights and freedoms. But this is about a worldview. And what's happening in America at this right moment is that uh, the left has decided that uh, perhaps the solution uh, for all the problems is to uh, put all their faith and all their trust, you can call this a sort of religion, uh, it's the idolatry of the state, and to believe that the state can be a panacea and a provider for all the, the problems of the society. That ultimately leads to a totalitarian worldview where the individual ceases to be a uh, uh, an agent of change, and everything is done and decided on the basis of group group rights. And uh, what's happening, uh, I repeat it again, because it's very important, is that the Americans uh, this 
ceasing to have an appreciation for their own values and traditions that were values uh, passed on to them by the American founding fathers that believed in the idea of individual responsibility and self-governance. And certainly when you start to see a society that disintegrates, uh, uh, and in our very eyes we are seeing that, uh, then we have the necessity of the state to step in in order to provide law and order. So I started to be suspicious that uh, the left is creating chaos out of nothing in order to justify the increase of the power of the state that will be uh, carried on uh, in its utmost force if uh, Joe Biden happens to be elected president of the United States. We're taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from William calling from Brisbane. Hello, William. Welcome along. G'day, Jeff. Um, listening to this is really exciting because I am so into law and order and it's the only real fair way to govern people. Um, and there's lots of reasons for that. Trump is the way to go with the Trump solution. Why? Because law and order is fair for everyone, politicians as well as public. We need that stability, knowing that our leaders are also under the same law, um, which is one of Australia's biggest problems because of problems, uh, the politicians in Australia think they're above the law as well. But anyway, we'll go, we won't go there too far. Um, point is, if we could just have law and order um, as the way to govern people, it would solve all the problems. The left and the right in politics is the problem. Trump's suffering from the left um, waywardness in their law and order. And William, you're uh, making some good points there. Let's get a thought or two from Augusto Zimmerman. Augusto, your thoughts for William? Well, certainly he is absolutely right to say that um, we need to have law and order. And the only way that uh, we are having more, uh, uh, that we can have more of law and order is to actually develop uh, appreciation for the rights of others and also an appreciation for your own responsibility as an individual to look after others and look after your family and not uh, necessarily request of the state what you as a citizen and as an individual can do uh, for yourself and for your loved ones. Uh, what the left requires is that ultimate power should be given to an external authority that's not the individual. And that's when we have the beginning of oppression and tyranny. And one thing that uh, uh, might be a major problem happening now in this country, in Australia, is the fact that the Australians are expecting the government to be the ultimate provider for all things, including security. And if I'm not wrong, it was Benjamin Franklin who said it very clearly, that if you expect too much of government and the government to be the provider of all things, you're ultimately uh, dooming yourself and ultimately going to have a government that can have the potential, at least, to destroy your own life. So we have to be careful to avoid the problem that Christianity teaches us through scripture even, that uh, power is a, a very dangerous force and it can be corrupted. And
ultimately, absolutely, absolute power can corrupt absolutely, as uh, Lord Acton uh, so wisely stated. Thank you so much to William for your call. 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. Uh, while we're talking America, we're talking Australia too here. Uh, interestingly, because America appears to be a lot more divided than Australia is, but Australia has all the potential to be just as divided. Uh, interestingly here, uh, how do you see a comparison between the two, Augusto? Well, look, um, certainly uh, in America, things are far, far more polarised. Uh, America has this uh, revolutionary tradition to fight against tyranny and oppression. When the left increases its uh, uh, approach in uh, basically escalating the conflicts, then we might have this problem. Uh, we, we might have this problem that um, uh, the right to also have to demand certain things and to request of the government to act on their behalf. So uh, things are really more intense in America than they are here at the moment. And um, Australians have things uh, got got very easily things here, and the things are not as bad as are in, they are in America. But it can become like that because, of course, the price of liberty is indeed uh, eternal vigilance. And if we don't learn the lessons from other countries, we can start having the same phenomenon happening here in this country. And I believe it's already happening. Okay, and uh, of course, uh, when we talk issues of the heart, that's uh, that's a big and complicated and uh, for some people quite confusing when you're talking about issues of the heart and uh, how that matters when you don't want to make the state your overall guiding power. We understand that as Christians, uh, Augusto, but uh, difficult to understand for people who are not Christians that there are heart issues that you can unite a nation. Yes, absolutely. And um, of course, uh, a disunited nation is more prone to be conquered. And it's very important to know history and to know our own traditions. And certainly the Americans have a very amazing uh, legacy. That um, Augusto, let me cut in here because we're about to go. Augusto, before we go any further, let's just take a call from a listener. Let's hear from Jonathan, who is in Perth. Jonathan, welcome along. Yeah, hello. Jonathan, what are your yes, thoughts? Yes, going to what you are saying, exactly, because uh, if you look at the uh, the, the process of the, the two parties in America, I know um, Republicans in the past led war, but Donald Trump is different. You can see from the time he became president, everywhere he was, he wanted peace. He, he don't want to go to war. So I believe if Donald Trump is president, there will be no global war because he want to go on a peace table negotiation. He loves negotiation. He loves okay. dialogue. Jonathan, good thoughts in there. Let's get a thought or two in the idea that if you're comparing the two, Trump and Biden, that you might have a master negotiator in Donald Trump. Uh, thoughts here for Jonathan uh, Augusto. Well, look, uh, he's uh, raising a very important point. Uh, Trump's uh, decision, for instance, to move the American embassy to Tel Aviv, to, to, from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, was uh, heavily criticized, and it was, uh, uh, according to some, 
uh, a reason for a conflict with the Palestinians. And that uh, not happened at all. Uh, the Trump administration actually deserves credit for normalizing the relations uh, between Israel and the United Arab, Arab Emirates, for instance. So um, there is something to be said about uh, the boldness and courage of his uh, measures, because uh, it is uh, uh, rendering uh, positive fruits uh, and unexpected positive fruits, because, of course, uh, the left was heavily critical of that. Another thing you have to bear in mind that it's very important is that um, how the way that he dealt with the Islamic State, because under the administration of the current president, the Americans have, uh, as I can say, uh, rolled back the group. And even its caliphate in um, uh, Syria and Iraq and uh, it's very important to bear in mind that uh, there were more than 7 million innocent people under the control of this terrorist group. So the defeat of the group was very important, was a very important military achievement to, to save uh, millions, perhaps, of innocent lives. So you have to applaud these actions that undoubtedly have uh, uh, probably saved the lives of uh, many, many innocent people. And you also have to consider what Trump did when he uh, withdrew that terrible uh, 2015 nuclear deal with Iran that Barack Obama so uh, crazily established that um, would be facilitating the Iranian government to develop uh, ma uh, um, uh, weapons of mass destruction. So Trump, by doing so, might also have uh, spared even Israel and other countries for a nuclear attack by this um, rogue uh, Islamic regime in Iran. So we have to applaud these measures because they undoubtedly would, uh, if the uh, Nobel Prize Committee was comprised of serious people, have to render uh, the award to Donald Trump and not to this other organization. Jonathan, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line open on 1-800-316-316. You can also respond to today's Facebook question. And the Facebook question today asks, which US presidential candidate do you think will enhance world peace if elected, Trump or Biden? Interestingly, as we're talking about the Trump doctrine today, Augusto, uh, you've mentioned a number of practical examples there that do appear to go under the radar quite often because of all the other mm -hmm. sorts of controversies that happen. But uh, but you can point to the Trump hand in certainly Middle East peace processes that are going on at the present time and a very, very unorthodox way of going about that. And this unorthodox way, this negotiator's way, appears to be really working quite effectively. Absolutely. And another thing the United Nations did that's very important is to cut the funds for uh, controversial international organizations that rather than promoting a better word, are responsible for causing uh, so much trouble to the world. And I would include here the World Health Organization that uh, created the whole mess about COVID. And uh, the United Nations Human Rights Council as well, that Trump has cut off the funds for very good reasons, because this organization has been taken over by um, uh, countries that have anti-Israel bias and also uh, are uh, responsible for gross violations of human rights, including uh, countries such as China and Venezuela that are now currently joining 
the so-called Human Rights Council, which is quite of a joke indeed. So uh, what he is doing is outstanding in these areas. Well, and you should necessarily have to applaud it. There is no other way to to say but to compliment him on what he's doing in these areas. Well, how much Augusto comes down to the personality of a figure like Donald Trump? Because the idea of speaking big, uh, even breathing threats, uh, this idea of you know cutting funding, as you've been mentioning there, bringing groups under a level of control there, exercising that power, how much of that do you think is the personality of the leader uh, or what he feels is is backing him to be able to make those threats? Uh, look, he has a, a, a sort of a style that is not of my taste, but you have to say that the opposition to his government has also been a very vile and very despicable in the word in the use of the words. So they're actually competing at uh, to reach the lowest possible level in terms of civility. And I must say that the um, approach that Biden, Joe Biden, is taking in this presidential election is as regrettable and and, and despicable than uh, the words and remarks of uh, Donald Trump. The difference between both is that Donald Trump is able to appoint the right people to the right positions, whereas Biden would be controlled by an extreme left that are ultimately intent on destroying the United States because it wants to pervert its own culture or subvert its own culture, values and traditions. So if Joe Biden is elected, I really fear for the future of the United States. And certainly we are going to have far more of these laws that are responsible for genocide and violation of human rights, including abortion on demand. Uh, it's something that we uh, have already seen in America, in some states already legalizing even infanticide with the endorsement of the Democratic Party. Interesting you talk about appointing people to right positions and uh, no doubt listeners will be familiar with Donald Trump's promise to drain the swamp. In other words, uh, those people who have held the values of the former administration and and we would say that those would be uh, typically uh, Marxist values on the left side uh, under under, uh, even a Barack Obama. Uh, and replacing those with conservative values. And that draws us to a very interesting development. And one of those things that's such a highlight in the campaign, of course, is the appointment of Amy Coney Barrett to the U.S. Supreme Court. Now, that's uh, one of those appointing people to right positions. Uh, As a legal expert, what are your thoughts on the developments around Amy Coney Barrett? Well, look, I think it's uh, an excellent appointment. Uh, She seems to be an outstanding jurist. She studied law at Notre Dame University, which is actually great because um, all the other justices of the current justices of the Supreme Court of the United States, they come from only two institutions, two institutions only, namely Yale and Harvard. So the fact that you have a sort of a person coming from a different institution actually gives uh, a bit more of a refreshing, uh, pluralistic, diver- more diverse perspective to the to the court. And she's been hi- heavily criticized for being a conservative. But what I have to say about this is that everybody, everyone 
has a worldview that they embrace. But the point is that the atheists and secular humanists have been imposing their worldview even at the expense of the original meaning of the Constitution. So it's a very important thing to consider that what she has to do is to apply the Constitution properly and faithfully and to um, adopt a particular method of interpretation that is faithful to the letter and the spirit of the document. Now, you've written books on the common law and foundations, one of those, of course, uh, for uh, England, uh, another one for the US. You've even written a book about Australia and our foundations here. The idea of a conservative judge making faithful interpretation of a constitution. This would appear to be important around Amy Coney Barrett because there's such a Christian foundation to the US Constitution. And of course, that stands to be lost if she were not appointed or if there wasn't a balance on the Supreme Court in the US. What are your thoughts around the way that uh, that constitutions do need to have faithful interpretation of people who are in that position? Well, look, it's very important because um, the Supreme Court uh, unfortunately, the American Supreme Court has, uh, as a result of its own judicial activism, uh, changed certain fundamental aspects of the uh, American Constitution, including uh, going to the point of even uh, constitutionalizing abortion in America via ni- the 1973 uh, Roe v. Wade decision of the Supreme Court uh, contained a supposedly uh, constitutional rights to kill uh, babies in America. Um, I think that um, some of the conservative judges that Amer- the America court has had, uh, the Supreme Court in particular, they uh, were excellent, such as uh, Anthony, Anthony Scalia as an example. But the, f- the, the problem that I see with Anthony Scalia and many other conservative judges is this, uh, mistaken, uh, mistakenly assumption, uh, assertion, I would say, that uh, precedent needs to be faithfully followed in, under all circumstances. But I have a problem with that because I believe it is the words of the Constitution that are ultimately binding in all these matters of constitutional law. So if a bad precedent, a bad decision is made that violates the intention of the drafter, and the spirit of the document, then this decision must be reversed. And uh, there was a very famous justice of the Supreme Court called Felix Frankfurter. Um, He was a judge in the mid-20th century, probably in the 1950s and 60s. And he said that the ultimate touchstone of methods of constitutionality is actually the Constitution itself, and not what judges might have said about this. Uh, Isaac Isaacs was um, uh, a justice of the High Court of Australia. He agreed on this, and uh, he uh, made this point that it's better that the court must be finally right than to be persistently wrong. So it should be ultimately right than uh, repeating the mistakes of previous judges. We judges have to have the courage and the co- of their convictions to uphold the Constitution, even if a precedent needs to be 
set aside depending on the circumstances. I wonder we, if we took a little diversion and uh, a comment or two on our Australian politics for a moment. And uh, given that we've got a Queensland state election coming up less than two weeks away, and I wonder whether the same ideals work when you're talking about electing uh, governments to positions and uh, references to constitutions and those foundations, because we're talking about a bigger picture here. And uh, when one particular leader takes power, they don't just take power as an individual, they draw a lot of people in with them and, uh, and they change people from positions of influence. So how does, uh, how do, how does this sort of idea, do you think, uh, uh, work in an Australian context here? Our Australian uh, federal government or our Queensland government, I mean, these people, they change people to their own uh, ideals as well, whether it's a conservative or a progressive view. What are your thoughts here, Augusto? Okay, what you are saying is very important because judges are appointed by the government of the day. So it's not just that we have uh, uh, the necessity to um, to elect uh, the right people to parliament, but we have to understand that these people will make decisions at the judicial level. Judges have independence, and um, there is this... Uh, important idea also ultimately leading to the realization of the rule of law that judges should be independent from politicians in order sometimes to make decisions that contradict the more uh, personal interests of this uh, uh, ruling class. But um, judges also, um, being uh, members of a particular elite, they tend to embrace similar values, the similar values of the political class. They should, nonetheless, be completely independent from uh, political interference. What happens when we appoint uh, or what happens is when we, when we elect the wrong politicians is that they tend to use the judiciary as a weapon to advance their own ideological goals. And then they choose this sort of judicial activists that rather than interpret the Constitution or any other document according to the intention of the drafter, they are going to evolve the document adopting a different method of interpretation, which is normally called the living constitution. So when judges tell you that they are just interpreting the Constitution, they are not telling the absolute truth because a second question that must be made is uh, to ask what, by what method of constitutional interpretation this uh, document is being uh, applied. So if they adopt the living constitution, the text itself is less important than what the judge perceives as the need to evolve the document according to the so-called needs of the society as expressed by the ideology of the judge himself or herself. That's not proper interpretation. That's actually judicial revisionism. And that makes the law um, a law that is an instrument of the will of a particular elite rather than manifesting the intentions and aspirations of the people. So constitutional interpretation happens 
and that, I imagine, would be why, as we're talking about, uh, you know, even the idea of the conscience of a nation or the way that a culture is formed within a nation. Uh, in fact, the culture is the thing that has to be strong and has to then underpin a good governance. And therefore, uh, I mean, as Christian believers here, Augusto, and you count yourself among the number there as uh, Christian believers, uh, the idea of, of maintaining Christian ethics, uh, an understanding of what it is to be salt and light throughout a whole nation, these sorts of things are very important for the safety of the future because there are lots of people who are trying to change those uh, constitutional underpinnings. What are your thoughts here for the, the value of a strong Christian, uh, uh, Christian constituency? Absolutely. It's very important. And one of the things we have learned uh, if you apply the proper biblical hermeneutics, is that um, God is a God of liberty, and his law is a law of liberty. And we should not uh, expect to have such a degree of freedom and even um, human dignity if we expect uh, too much of our authorities. And as a result of this, uh, the governments feel entitled to even remove, if I can say, some guarantees that are so fundamental to the protections of the rights of life, liberty, and property, which are, according to a Christian worldview, inalienable rights of the individual, because they are not given by the state, so the state cannot take these rights away. But certainly what we are seeing now is a dramatically rise of a very powerful state where our lives are being endangered, and certainly the lives of the most vulnerable ones, namely the unborn child. And if we want to make a change in this regard, we have to start electing people who have a better appreciation for human rights, but what I mean is human rights for all, regardless of gender, regardless of age, and regardless of religion. We should be uh, able to guarantee the protections that were given by us as a result of our Christian foundations for human rights and freedoms. Well, powerful insights on which we might have to conclude our conversation today. Uh, just come back to that Facebook question I was asking listeners, and uh, listeners will be responding to that and uh, continuing to do so, no doubt, throughout the day. But on the question I've asked today, which U.S. presidential candidate do you think will enhance world peace if elected, uh, Trump or Biden? I think uh, I can hear the way you're leaning uh, on this whole issue here, Augusto, towards Trump, away from Biden, but not just because of their personalities or the sorts of images you might see in the media, but it's the sort of things that they are uh, demonstrating in what they stand for. And, of course, that comes down to policy platforms and uh, not just judging our political leadership on whether they come across nice before camera, uh, but because they are standing for a certain set of values and ideals. Uh, what would your thoughts be for that Facebook question? Uh, which one uh, do you think will enhance world peace? Well, certainly, uh, we, I have uh, uh, the conviction that uh, Trump is uh, the appropriate person uh, to uh, be the next, to remain as the president of the United States, basically because he has reversed policies, foreign affair policies adopted by 
the democratic governments uh, of Barack Obama, for instance, and Bill Clinton, but also even by the Republican uh, governments of George Bush, for instance, uh, that have caused uh, endless wars and despair and that have not fixed the problems that they promised to do to fix. So uh, the uh, policies adopted by Trump are making a difference to the world and a difference for good. And we should applaud this and you should regard this as something that is an important achievement, not only for America, but for the world in general, including Australia. Uh, Well, an interesting way to end uh, that Trump has reversed policies, not only uh, from the opposition side, uh, but from also his own side, technically, uh, in politics uh, that caused uh, those endless wars and despair and haven't fixed the problems they've tried to fix. Augusto Zimmerman, thank you so much for taking some time to talk to us today. Augusto is Professor and Head of Law at Sheridan Institute of Higher Education in Perth. He's also President of the Western Australian Legal Theory Association and Editor-in-Chief at the Western Australian Jurist. And the website I usually point people to is Walter, W-A-L-T-A, the West Australian Legal Theory Association website, walter.net.au. Uh, Augusto, have you written any articles about this topic of recent times that listeners might be able to access? Well, look, uh, apart from the latter that's actually available online, I am on the way to produce another article on the subject. But uh, the letter that was sent to the committee is available online on the website of the Western Australian Legal Tree Association. And it sums up what uh, myself and the other three professors had, had, had to say on the subject. Okay, well, Augusto Zimmerman, thank you so much for taking part in our conversation today on 2020. Thank you very much, Neil. God bless you and your listeners. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. 